Chapter Ten of Ravensdene Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Yellow Sea. I am not sure which or how many of us sitting at that table had ever come into personal contact with the detective. I myself had never met one in my life, but I am sure that Mr. Raven's announcement that there was a real live one close at hand immediately excited much curiosity. Miss Raven, in the adjoining room, the door of which was open, caught her uncle's last words, and came in expectantly. I think she, like most of us, wondered what sort of being we were about to see. And possibly there was a shade of disappointment on her face, when the police inspector walked in, followed, not by the secret, subtle, sleuth-hound-like person she had perhaps expected, but by a little, rotund, rather merry-faced man, who looked more like a prosperous cheesemonger or successful draper than an emissary of justice. He was just the sort of person you would naturally expect to see with an apron around his comfortable waistline, or a pencil stuck in his ear, and who was given to rubbing his fat white hands. He rubbed them now and smiled, wholesale, as his companion led him forward. "'Sorry to disturb you, Mr. Raven,' said the inspector, with an apologetic bow, "'but we are anxious to have a little talk with you and Mr. Middlebrook. "'This is Mr. Scarterfield, from the police at Devonport. "'Mr. Scarterfield has been in charge of the investigations about the affair, "'Noah Quick, you know, down there, and he has come here to make some further inquiries.' "'Mr. Raven murmured some commonplace about being glad to see his visitors,' and with his usual hospitality, offered them refreshment. We made room for them at the table at which we were sitting, and some of us, I think, were impatient to hear what Mr. Scarterfield had to tell. But the detective was evidently one of those men who readily adapt themselves to whatever company they are thrown into, and he betrayed no eagerness to get the business until he had lighted one of Mr. Raven's cigars and pledged Mr. Raven in a whiskey and soda. Then, equipped and at his ease, he turned a friendly, all-embracing smile on the rest of us. Which, he asked, looking from one to the other, which of these gentlemen is Mr. Middlebrook? The general turning of several pairs of eyes in my direction gave him the information he wanted. We exchanged nods. It was you who found Salter Quick, he suggested, and who met him the previous day, on the cliffs hereabouts, and went with him into the mariner's joy? Quite correct, said I, all that. I have read up everything that appeared in print in connection with the Salter Quick affair, he remarked. It has, of course, a bearing on the Noah Quick business. Whatever is of interest in the one is of interest in the other. You think the two affairs one, really, eh? inquired Mr. Raven. One, declared Scarterfield, the object of the man who murdered Noah was the same object as that of the man who murdered Salter. The two murderers are, without doubt, members of a gang. But what gang, and what object? Ah, that's just what I don't know yet. What we were all curious about, of course, was, what did he know that we did not already know? And I think he saw in what direction our thoughts were turning, for he presently leaned forward on the table and looked around the expectant faces as if to command our attention. 
"'I had better tell you how far my investigations have gone,' he said quietly. "'Then we shall know precisely where we are, and from what point we can, perhaps, make a new departure, now that I have come here. I was put in charge of this case, at least of the Saltash murder, from the first. There's no need for me to go into the details of that now, because I take it that you have all read them, or quite sufficient of them. Now, when the news about Salter Quick came through, it seemed to me that the first thing to do was to find out a very pertinent thing. Who were the brothers Quick? What were their antecedents? What was in their past, the immediate or distant past, likely to lead up to these crimes? A pretty stiff proposition, as you may readily guess, for you must remember each was a man of mystery. No one in our quarter knew anything more of Noah Quick than that he had come to Devonport some little time previous, taken over the license of the Admiral Parker, conducted his house very well, and had the reputation of being a quiet, close, reserved sort of man who was making money. As to Salter, nobody knew anything except that he had been visiting Noah for some time. Family ties, the two men evidently have none. Not a soul has come forward to claim relationship. And there has been wide publicity. "'Do you think Quick was the real name?' asked Mr. Cazalet, who from the first had been listening with rapt attention. "'Mayn't it have been an assumed name?' "'Well, sir,' replied Mr. Scarterfield, "'I thought of that. But you must remember that full descriptions of the two brothers appeared in the press.' and that portraits of both were printed alongside. Nobody came forward recognizing them, and there has been a powerful, a most powerful, inducement for their relations to appear, never mind whether they were Quick or Brown or Smith or Robinson, the most powerful inducement we could think of. Aye, said Mr. Cazalet, and that was money, answered the detective. Money, if these men left any relations, sisters, brothers, nephews, nieces, it's in the interest of these relations to come into the light, for there's money awaiting them. That's well known. I had it noised abroad in the papers, and let it be freely talked of in town. But as I say, nobody's come along. I firmly believe now that these two hadn't a blood relation in the world. A queer thing, but it seems to be so. And this money, I asked, is it much? That was one of the first things I went for, answered Scarterfield. Naturally, when a man comes to the end which Noah Quick met with, inquiries are made of his solicitors and his bankers. Noah had both in our parts. The solicitors knew nothing about him, except that he had employed them now and then in trifling matters, and that of late he had made a will, in which in brief fashion he left everything of which he died possessed, to his brother Salter, whose address he gave as being the same as his own. About the same time they had made a will for Salter, in which he bequeathed everything he had to Noah. But as to the antecedents of Noah and Salter, nothing. Then I approached the bankers. There I got more information. When Noah Quick first went to Devonport, he deposited a considerable sum of money with one of the leading banks at Plymouth and at the time of his death he had several thousand pounds lying there to his credit. His bankers also had charge of valuable securities of his. On Salter Quick's coming to the Admiral Parker, 
Noah introduced him to this bank. Salter deposited there a sum of about two thousand pounds, and of that he had only withdrawn about a hundred. So he, too, at the time of his death, had a large balance. Also he left with the bankers, for safekeeping, some valuable scrip and securities, chiefly of Indian railways. Altogether those bankers hold a lot of money that belongs to the two brothers, and there are certain indications that they made their money, previous to coming to Devonport, in the Far East. But the bankers know no more of their antecedents than the solicitors do. In both instances, banking matters and legal matters, the two men seem to have confined their words to strict business and no more. The only man I have come across who can give me the faintest idea of anything respecting their past is a regular frequenter of the Admiral Parker, who says that he once gathered from Salter Quick that he and Noah were natives of Rotherhithe or somewhere in that part, and that they were orphans and the last of their lot. "'Of course you have been to Rotherhithe, making inquiries,' suggested Mr. Raven. "'I have, sir,' replied Scarterfield, "'and I searched various parish registers there, and found nothing that helped me. "'If the two brothers did live at Rotherhithe, "'they must have been taken there as children and born elsewhere. "'They weren't born in Rotherhithe Parish. "'Nor could I come across anybody at all "'who knew anything of them in seafaring circles thereabouts.' I came to the conclusion that whoever those two men were, and whatever they had been, most of their lives had been spent away from this country. Probably in the Far East, as you previously suggested, muttered Mr. Cazalet. Likely, agreed Scarterfield, their money would seem to have been made there, judging by, at any rate, some of their securities. Well, there's more ways than one of finding things out, and after I'd knocked round a good deal of Thames side, and had been in queer places, I turned my attention to Lloyd's. Now, connected with Lloyd's are various publications having to do with shipping matters. The Weekly Shipping Index, the Confidential Index, for instance. Moreover, with time and patience, you can find out a great deal at Lloyd's, not only about ships, but about men in them. And to cut a long story short, gentlemen, Last week I did at last get a clue about Noah and Salter Quick, which I now mean to follow up for all it's worth. Here the detective, suddenly assuming a more business-like air than he had previously shown, paused, to produce from his breast pocket a small bundle of papers which he laid before him on the table. I suppose we all gazed at them as if they suggested deep and dark mystery but for the time being Scarterfield let them lie idle where he had placed them. "'I'll have to tell the story in a sort of sequence,' he continued. "'This is what I have pieced together from the information I collected at Lloyd's. In October 1907, now nearly five years ago, a certain steamship, the Elizabeth Robinson, left Hong Kong in southern China for Chemulpo, one of the principal ports in Korea.' She was spoken in the Yellow Sea several days later. After that, she was never heard of again, and according to the information available at Lloyd's, she probably went down in a typhoon in the Yellow Sea and was totally lost with all hands on board. No great matter, perhaps, 
from all that I could gather she was nothing but a tramp steamer that did, so to speak, odd jobs anywhere between India and China. She had gone to Hong Kong from Singapore. Her owners were small folk in Singapore, and I imagine that she had seen a good deal of active service. All the same, she's of considerable interest to me, for I have managed to secure a list of the names of the men who were on her when she left Hong Kong for Chemulpo, and amongst those names are those of the two men we're concerned about, Noah and Salter Quick. Scarterfield slipped off the India rubber band which had confined his papers, and selecting one, slowly unfolded it. Mr. Raven spoke. "'I understood that this ship, the Elizabeth Robinson, was lost with all hands,' he said. "'So she is set down at Lloyd's,' replied Scarterfield. "'Never heard of again, after being spoken in the Yellow Sea, about three days from Chemulpo.' "'Yet Noah and Salter Quick were on her, and were living five years later,' suggested Mr. Raven. "'Just so, sir,' agreed Scarterfield dryly. Therefore, if Noah and Salter Quick were on her, and as they were alive until recently, either the Elizabeth Robinson did not go down in a typhoon or from any other reason, or the brothers Quick escaped. But here is the list of the men who were aboard her when she sailed from Hong Kong. She was, I have already told you, a low-down tramp steamer, evidently picking up a precarious living between one far eastern port and another, a small vessel. Her list includes a master, or captain, and a crew of eighteen. I needn't trouble you with their names, except in two instances, which I'll refer to presently. But here are the names of Noah Quick, Salter Quick, set down as passengers. Passengers, not members of the crew. Nothing in the list of the crew strikes me but the two names I spoke of, and that I'll now refer to. The first name will have an interest for Mr. Middlebrook. It's Netherfield. Netherfield, I exclaimed. The name? That Salter Quick asked you particular questions about when he met you on the headlands, Mr. Middlebrook, answered Scarterfield with a knowing look, and that he was very anxious to get some news of William Netherfield, deckhand of Blythe, Northumberland, that's the name on the list of those who were aboard the Elizabeth Robinson when she went out of Hong Kong and disappeared for ever. Of Blythe, remarks Mr. Cassellet. Hmm, Blythe lied some miles to the southward. I'm aware of it, sir, said Scarterfield, and I propose to visit the place when I have made certain inquiries about this region. But I hope you appreciate the extraordinary coincidence, gentlemen. In October 1907, Salter Quick is on a tramp steamer in the Yellow Sea in company, more or less intimate, with a sailor man from Blythe in Northumberland, whose name is Netherfield. In March 1912, he is on the sea coast near Almouth, asking anxiously if anybody knows of a church or churchyards in these parts where people of the name of Netherfield are buried. Why? What had the man Netherfield who was with Salter Quick in Chinese waters in 1907, got to do with Salter Quick's presence here five years later. Nobody attempted to answer these questions, and presently I put one for myself. You spoke of two names on the list as striking you with some significance, I said. Netherfield is one. 
what is the other that of a chinaman he replied promptly referring to his documents set down as cook i'm told most of those coasting steamers in that part of the world carry chinamen as cooks chu fen that's the name and why it's significant to me when all the rest aren't is this during the course of my inquiries at lloyd's i learnt that about three years ago a certain chinaman calling himself chu fen dropped in at lloyd's and was very anxious to know if the steamer elizabeth robinson which had sailed from hong kong for chemulpo in october nineteen seven ever arrived at its destination he was given the same information that was afforded me and on getting it went away silent now then was this man this chinaman the chu fun who turned up in london the same chu fun who was on the elizabeth robinson if so how did he escape a shipwreck which evidently happened and why if there was no shipwreck and something else took place of which we have no knowledge did he want to know after two years lapse of time if the ship did really get to chemopo there was a slight pause then suddenly broken by dr lorrimore who then spoke for the first time do you know what all this is suggesting to me he exclaimed nodding at scarterfield something happened on that ship it may be that there was no shipwreck as you said just now something may have taken place of which we have no knowledge but one fact comes out clearly whether the elizabeth robinson ever reached any port or not it's very evident nay certain that noah and salter quick did and considering the inquiry he made at lloyd's so did the chinaman chu fen now what could those three have told about the elizabeth robinson no one made any remark on that until scarterfield remarked softly i wish i had chanced to be at lloyd's when chu fen called there but that's three years ago and chu fen may be where something impelled miss raven and myself to glance at dr lorrimore he nodded he knew what we were thinking of and he turned to scarterfield i happen he said to have a chinaman in my employ at present one wing a very clever man he has been with me for some years i brought him from india when i came home recently an astute chap like he paused suddenly the detective had turned a suddenly interested glance on him you live hereabout sir he asked i i don't think i've caught your name dr lorrimore our neighbour said mr raven hurriedly close by i think lorrimore saw what had suddenly come into scarterfield's mind he laughed a little cynically don't get the idea or suspicion formed or half-fledged that my man wing has anything to do with the murder of salter quick he said i can vouch for him and his movements i know where he was on the night of the murder what i was thinking of was this wing is a man of infinite resource and of superior brains he might be of use to you in tracing this chu fun if chu fun is in england when wing and i were in london we were there for some time after i returned from india previous to my coming down here wing paid a good many visits to his fellow chinaman in the east end limehouse way he also had a holiday in liverpool and another at swansea and cardiff 
where, I am told, there are Chinese settlements. And I happen to know that he carries on an extensive correspondence with his compatriots. If you think he could give you any information, Mr. Scarterfield? I'd like to have a talk with him, certainly, responded the detective with some eagerness. I know a bit about these chaps. Some of them can see through a brick wall. Lorrimore turned to Mr. Raven. If your coachman could run across with a dog-cart or anything handy, he said, and would tell Wing that I want him here, he'd be with me at once. And he may be able to suggest something. I know that before he came to me, I picked him up in Bombay, he had knocked about the ports of southern China a great deal. Come with me, and give my coachman instructions, said Mr. Raven. He'll run over to your place in ten minutes, and while we are discussing this affair, we may as well have as much light as we can get on it. He and Lorrimore left the room together. When they returned, the conversation reverted to a discussion of possible ways and means of finding out more about the antecedents of the Quicks. Half an hour passed in this fruitlessly. Then the door was quietly opened, and behind the somewhat pompous figure of the butler, I saw the bland, obsequious smile of the Chinaman. End of chapter 10